The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Hey, quality people, Jarvis here, and I'm dropping a quick message to invite you all to a live taping of the Healthcare Quality Cast. Now, I've received a few messages on this and absolutely love the idea. On top of that, I found two incredible nursing leaders and consultants to help me roll this out for the very first time. All that we need now is you. So do me a favor, click the link provided here in the show description, or you can find it in our LinkedIn group to register and join us on November the 19th at 1 p.m. East Coast time. Also, be sure to take a minute to connect with our guests, Sharice and Ananya, ahead of our live session. You'll have a chance to join the recording of our episode, and after that, We'll open it up for live audience Q&A. All right, everyone, go ahead and click the link to register, and we'll see you online during our live show. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast, and today I am here with my guest, Andrew Coppolo. Andrew, are you ready to share with some quality people? Let's do this. Thank you, Jarvis. All right, wonderful. Well, Andrew, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could please share a leadership quote or a leadership mindset, but also tell us how do you apply it on a daily basis? Yeah, so, so uh, it's this, this idea that better has no limits. Um, uh, it, it really resonates with me because I, I think that we, we, we often get stuck in this idea of, of meeting our metrics and our minimum requirements, but but this kind of re- reframes that, that, that a little bit. It's, it's more in alignment with that continuous improvement mindset. And Simon Sinek talks about it in an infinite game. Angela Duckworth speaks about it a little bit, but, but you know, I'm, I'm restless just by nature. I'm restless. And, and that idea, that, 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 that notion better has no limits that really, that helps to channel that restlessness in, in a productive way. And I think that um, as leaders, we want to, uh, uh, amplify that. We want to be able to make sure that that others sort of feed off of that idea. So um, that's something that that I think is has really really um, been a value add, and just just in terms of a leadership mindset. Well, so I, I appreciate that. I've never heard that particular uh, quote before, but actually, when you said it, I was like, oh, I feel validated because <laughs> even when I think things are kind of good enough, it's like not good enough yet. So. Mm-hmm. You know, now my, I feel validated in my personal mindset. All so right, good all right. thank you very much. Well, um, Andrew, let me move you to the next question, because um, I have to admit to you that um, ever since we connected on LinkedIn some time ago, 
I've had your name on my list as, you know, people to reach out to just to, you know, to kind of talk into convincing to come onto this podcast. Um, <laughs> really impressed with, you know, just your profile through LinkedIn. So I'm, I'm anxious to learn more about you, but um, everything that I've seen, you know, your posts that I follow through LinkedIn, your connections through um, Nake you and just all the other great work that you're leading. So just want to um, just give you that shout out, man, that, you know, as soon as I came across your profile, I was all in. And so I'm just very appreciative that we're here. And I would love for you to share information, you know, your current role, professional background, and definitely what led you into this career path. Right. So, um, you know, I wish we'd had a conversation earlier then. <laughs> I'll say, uh, I'm glad we're talking now. This is, this is terrific. So I was not aware. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so uh, Jarvis, I'm, my, I currently hold two roles. My, my, my primary role is uh, Associate Director of Operational Excellence at, at United Healthcare. And I'm also an adjunct faculty at Thomas Jefferson University in their College of Population Health, where I'm affiliated with their Healthcare Quality Patient Safety Program and their Operational Excellence Program. Um, I, I started my career as a social worker, as, as a behavioral health clinician. And it didn't take long for me to realize that... Um, uh, that I don't have a very good mesh. I have pretty poor boundaries. And I found myself uh, staying up at night wondering if Johnny's going get to the, get, get the, do well in the job interview or get a paycheck or, or all the, these things that were emotionally taxing. And uh, it, it, I, I wanted to be able to, to find a way to help. My, just my baseline inclination is to help, but direct practice was very difficult for me for those reasons. And then I kind of, kind of fell into and, and, and fell in love with, with quality programming. Uh, I, a friend of mine said, hey, hey, uh, Andrew, I think you'd be great at this. Uh, your clinical documentation is always spotless. You know, you've, you've got these sort of uh, uh, these characteristics that, that, would, that would mesh well here. And, um, and, and it, was, it was wonderful. You know, the first time I, I experienced, uh, I, I, I just... Um, I knew it was for me. I was sold hook, line and sinker. This, this idea of helping people, helping others. Um, uh, and so uh, from, from that point that uh, uh, early on in my healthcare quality career, I, I kind of wound my way through various levels of, of the Medicaid behavioral health space in, in Arizona. And, and I found myself working at Arizona's department of health in their quality department. And, and I joined that team just before a new, new policy came out that said, in order to work at the Department of Health, you either had to be a nurse or a CPHQ. Now, I had neither at the time. And this was a great, um, uh, well, at the, now I call it an excuse, but at, at the time, it was a mandate. <laughs> it, was, it was get this certification or find other work. And, um, and changed it changed everything for me the, the not the cph not the certification itself but but studying for it kind of rewired how i think about healthcare how i understand healthcare quality and my passion for it kind of went to the next level and and i found other tools and techniques and ways too to to, to further that that idea of helping people help other people 
through these these uh, 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 quality strategies. And so, since then, I've I've worked in a number of different capacities, mostly in, in the change management space. So project manager, process improvement, um, I've worked as a black belt, et cetera. And it, it all revolves around, around uh, managing change and, and continuously improve. Well, I love it. And I was just kind of scrolling around also, Andrew, on um, your LinkedIn page again. I would love if you could just take a minute. Um, you kind of mentioned the CPHQ already. Um, could you talk about any of the other professional development, um, professional certifications that you've earned? And um, I would love to just kind of pick your brain and, and maybe just ask the, you know, the global question is the value of that professional development. Again, you, you started talking about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to ask that question because I, I've come across so many leaders, healthcare leaders, not just quality people, that, you know, once they get their, their education, it's like they're done. Mm-hmm. And I'm a personal believer in just continuous learning, um, continuous just pushing myself, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because better has no limits. <laughs> so I <laughs> uh, would love to um, just, you know, ask that question, you know, can you highlight some of the other things you've done and just the sure. impact that's had on you personally a little bit more or professionally? So um, beyond the CPHQ, uh, the, the next certification I picked up was my PMP from the Project Management Institute. That's the Project Management Professional. That was an intense certification and, uh, or, or an intense certification process. The, the requirements were, were extremely rigorous. The exam was painful, <laughs> I will say. Um, and, and again, I learned a lot. In this case, uh, the, the PMP really helped me organize myself in a way at a level that I had not previously um, uh, done. It, it, it allowed me to, to create, it introduced me to concepts like work breakdown structure, which, which to your audience may or may not mean anything at all, but it's just a way to organize the work to understand dependencies, to under, understand constraints. What do we want to do? What resources do we have to do? That, the, that iron triangle of project management, of, of time, resources, and scope, and how they all kind of interplay with each other, that really framed it up for me as I was leading um, uh, major uh, initiatives at the time across, um, uh, across my organization. Now, in addition to that, just, just after that, um, I, I got my, my, well, my green belt certification and then my black belt certification. And I would say of all of my non-academic, um, if we want to call it that, non-academic institution certifications, the black belt certification I received through United Healthcare um, was by far the most rigorous and fulfilling experience. It represented a, it just a ton of work, a ton of training, the investment that was put into um, the, the training itself. And in order to get that certification, not only did you have to um, attend a, a four weeks worth of, of training, of in-class training, um, over the course of four months, you, you needed to complete uh, three improvement projects de- demonstrably with, 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 with demonstrated significant improvement. Um, it took me about, uh, I want to say a year and a half or two, probably two years from the point I was trained to the point I got certified. And the certification also included an exam and included sort of a panel 
interview, sort of like dissertation. <laughs> I, I had to defend my work and explain how I used all of these ideas. And in order to do that, the reason why I bring that up is because um, I can say something like, yes, I used a fishbone. This is the, the, what the fishbone is. But I had to be able to explain the value of a fishbone. I had to explain it in a way uh, like this, kind of a casual conversation. That's how well I had to know it, how, how I had to understand it in order to get that. So that was, that was a, 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 just a terrific, terrific experience. Um, and, uh, and, and then very recently, I, I got my uh, master, my, my, uh, my Lean Six Sigma master black belt, which was another extremely intense experience. Um, this was a little bit different because it, it focused a, 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 a bit more on I mean, not only mastery of all of the concepts and the different types of, of, of statistical applications and tools that, that you may need to know, but you also need to um, uh, understand the, the, the underlying philosophy behind coaching and mentorship and assisting others, which which really fit into my uh, skill set as it was just because I have a passion for doing that anyways. <laughs> so it, it was, you know, that part was, um, uh, was, was really nice. And again, reinforced the idea of, of, of helping people help other people. All right. Perfect. Now I, I love that additional breakdown. And like I said, I just, I, I wanted to take the opportunity because again, well credentialed, very impressive, um, career path and background. And, you know, it's funny as you were even talking about like the PMP. Um, I did my PMP 2008, 2009, more or less. And what I remember about the PMP is that the application was about as hard as the test. It was. <laughs> it was. You had to go back and you had to demonstrate how many years of, of project management experience you had. And you had to yep. get people to sign off, like attest to your, uh, to that experience. And you had to, I mean, and you could get audited, which involved another level of rigor yep. of the documentation. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it's, it's one of those always be prepared situations that has, has stayed with me for, for, you know, ever, ever since. <laughs> yeah. I tell a lot of folks, if, if they're thinking about the PMP, go ahead and apply. And if you get through the application process, you will definitely know if you're ready. Um, but you know, that to your black belt, uh, green belt, black belt, and now master black belt, congratulations. Thank you. Um, you know, just again, that, that path to progression is so, um, you know, interesting for me personally. And again, I, I hope that resonates with a lot of folks in our audience. Um, so thank you for just, again, going with that line of uh, thought there. Um, I'm going to move you to the next question, Andrew. And this is a question that I've just now kind of famously started calling the dark place question. So I would love, Andrew, if you could share with us um, a moment in your career as a quality professional that you would consider your best moment of failure but share with us, um, you know, what the um, high level, you know, kind of ins and outs were for that moment, maybe some of the decisions you were going through, but most importantly, any of the major lessons learned that you took from that moment. Sure. So the first thing that I'll, that I'll say, and I'm, I'm going to answer the question, but I got a caveat at first, <laughs> sure, sure. The, the, the term it, failure. So, so that there was a time when I, when I embraced that term, I, I, I would own it in job interviews. I would say I have failed countless times, um, and, and then I and then I saw 
an interview with, with Steve Wozniak, uh, founder of Apple, and he got the same question. And his question, his answer, it, it was it was really kind of fun to watch his facial expressions because uh, he was kind of grappling with it. And he basically said something to the effect of, I've never failed. And, and he wasn't saying, and he, he did, he, he qualified this. He, he, you know, he wasn't saying that, that things haven't gone the way that he wanted them to go. He said that happens all the time, but he learned from those. He was able to integrate that experience into his, his knowledge base. And as a result, he was, he was better. Uh, he was just a, a better individual. Um, it's sort of like along the lines of, of that Thomas Edison quote about, you know, I didn't, you know, it didn't take me 700 tries or 700 failures to, to uh, create the light bulb. I just found 699 different ways not to you know, create the light bulb. And I'll, of course, all we, uh, sidebar, all we, you know, we all know Thomas Edison. The only thing he really invented was, was how to, you know, steal credit for other people's work, but that's, that's a totally other, other conversation altogether. Um, so all of that being said, I, I will, give one experience. And I've actually got a, a lot of mileage out of this story. Mm. Um, I was working uh, on a, a performance improvement or process improvement project a number of years ago. And, and it, was, it was one of those big, nasty, hairy projects that had 20 different teams involved and had um, capacity planning and, and uh, you, a lot of software change, a lot of process change, and a lot of, and in the Medicaid space in particular, if you're dealing with Medicaid and you're, you're dealing with 10 markets or 20 markets, uh, markets being uh, states, uh, in, in those situations, that means you've got 10 or 15 or 20 different regulatory entities that you have to, that you have to work with. Now, you've got the politics there, but you've also got the internal politics. And, and that's something that people, well, oftentimes it's, it's uh, not really given the light of day a whole lot. But in this particular situation, I was, I was sailing right along and, and it was a lot of work, a lot of very heavy work. And it was a matter of trying to convince or get buy-in from individual markets that this, hey, this new idea, this new thing that we wanna do, we wanna change it, we wanna improve our process. There's so much pain in our process. And it got to the point of, of, getting, of getting formal buy-off from senior executive leadership. And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes, comes the process owner that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and, 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 and she shut it down hard. She said, who are you? What are you doing talking to my people? What are you doing trying to change this? Um, I didn't even know. I, I just didn't even know she was, she was uh, somebody that I needed to speak with. I mean, I kind of, I knew her in an org structure sense, but, but I never equated her to an owner of this very, very complicated process. And she did not take kindly to um, somebody uh, that she had seen coming into the space and, and looking to change without even talking to her. And so I use that story. I use that story a lot about knowing your audience and understanding your stakeholders and understanding all the internal dynamics at play. Because if you, if you make that mistake, <laughs> if, you, if you don't take the time um, or affirm and reaffirm, who those stakeholders are and take the time to work with them, well, 
that labor of love that, that you just went through over the course of a year or two may, may get, um, may get uh, laid on the table for indefinitely, which is, which is exactly what happened in that project. All right, perfect. And Andrew, um, this is one of my co-hosts that I've mentioned right before the start of our call. So um, to our audience, my two-year-old is now sitting on my lap in the middle of this interview. But um, now, Andrew, I really appreciate that story because I am dealing with a very similar situation right now, interestingly enough, with a very, um, very impressive process owner. But, um, you know, there are times in our work that I can tell she's still trying to develop and build trust with me and the work that I'm leading with her team and her, you know, her, her folks. So I have my thoughts about it, but, you know, maybe my question to you, given that situation, given even, you know, coach me up on my situation, but what are some ways um, to potentially build trust with process owners when you've just kind of, you've been assigned a project, you're coming through doing the work that you were tasked with, and now you run into the process owner. Um, what are maybe one or two or three ways to just, you know, break the ice, um, earn the trust, and still kind of get the work done in the best way possible? Sure. Uh, it, so the short answer is, there, there is no short answer. Um, uh, this is a, a matter of putting in the time and the effort to get to know your key stakeholders. Um, and, and that means, that means scheduling one-on-one -on -one time with them. That means asking questions. So, so people, people kind of love to ask questions or answer questions about themselves, um, or about their interests or, or questions that, that they have a stake. And, and by that, I mean, if you're, if you're, meeting with a, a process owner, um, uh, that's your golden opportunity to get to understand what their value is, what, what they value, I should say, not what their value is, but th their value. Um, and it, it gives you the opportunity to let them know that they have been heard, which is invaluable in terms of, of developing trust. Not just one time, relationships take time. And, and so you do it once and then you'll reaffirm that and then you'll reaffirm it again and then you're going to reaffirm it again. And you're going to reaffirm it after that project ends and you're going to reaffirm it before the next project starts and then during that next project because the work that we do here, it involves relationships. It involves trust, a certain degree of, of taking a chance on somebody to, to lead an organization through change and improve a, a given process or function or whatever. So um, uh, not only walking the walk, but, but talking the talk and, and following through with commitments that, um, that you've given. All right, wonderful. No, I, I, I think you're spot on. Um, I can say for me really quickly, so Andrew, uh, my long story short is I came from out of healthcare into healthcare, and so I came from a totally different culture for process improvement and project management into healthcare to, like you said, it's, it's all relationship driven. And now, um, you know, having built up my relationship skills more so than the analytical skills that I always come with, um, you know, my approach with my stakeholder, uh, we just had a call yesterday where we finally got on the same page with, you know, my vision, my approach for the projects and hers. So I'll add that one additional thought in with everything you share there, which is spot on, um, which is just vision sharing. Like I, I shared my vision, you know, hey, these are my, this is my vision for the future for your team. 
and she had very similar thoughts. And then we were, you know, kind of had that moment like, ah, like we are on the same page, you know? <laughs> so, so it was, it was, you know, I think we both kind of got off the phone. Or at least I know I got off the phone just with that, that internal, like, you know, gushy feeling like, Ooh, this might work, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, and, and, I think. And I'll, I'll, I'll add to that Jarvis. It's, uh-huh. it's one thing to give a verbal. It's one thing to say something along the lines of what I'm hearing is, and then parroting back what, uh, what it is you think the other person wants. The next step to that is committing it to, to paper, um, virtual or otherwise, and, and documenting the voice of the customer, making sure that, that um, not only do you understand it, but you've gone so far as to making sure that everybody involved has that same level of understanding. You do that through a charter, you do that through a number of different mechanisms, but you make sure that it is well documented to avoid any kind of confusion later on and to ensure the level of visibility you need to level set with your stakeholders. No, no, you are spot on. And that is something I absolutely did not do after that call. So thank you. I will be (laughs) drafting up a a summary email as soon as we get off of this. (laughs) No, perfect. Andrew, no, thank you for that. And going to move you to the next question. Um, Try to pick us up a little bit um, to to the conversation, get a little bit more production going. But um, would love for you to now share with us, Andrew, a tip, tool, or tactic that you found that works well for building up those intimate connections on the project teams that you lead, um, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Jarvis, I basically just said it. Um, (laughs) uh, it, it, Relationships. Uh, It's it's not really a tactic um, from my perspective. Again, it's it's a mindset. Uh, uh, Relationships are everything. And so when you know individuals are involved, you know they're going to play a, a, a role um, an important role in the work that you're doing, taking the time to develop that relationship, to develop that trust goes, in my experience, goes a long way. So scheduling those one-on-one meetings, taking the time to hear what people have to say, folding their feedback to you um, uh, into your engagement plan, your communication plan, your strategic approach, to, uh, just depending on who you're talking to, it really um, has proven to be the single greatest tool, if you want to call it that, uh, that, that I have used it in the world of, of change management. All right, perfect. And we'll love for you to now share with us an aha moment that you've had as, you know, within your career as a healthcare leader. Um, but again, walk us through that now and share with us, you know, how did the idea strike you? Um, definitely, if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yeah. So aha moments. <laughs> I've got a few. Um, all right. So earlier on in my career, I was working for what, what's called out here a regional behavioral health authority. And I was in the quality department. I was a clinical record reviewer. I was responsible for overseeing quality programming um, uh, based on a series of pretty vague regulatory requirements. And at, at some point, I, I asked the question, what do these requirements mean? Uh, how, well, how do I score this? What's the, how, do, how do you interpret this? And, and, and I, I asked my leadership. And the leadership said, well, well we don't know. <laughs> so, so I said, well, why don't we ask the Department of Health? right? These are their requirements. And, and they said, absolutely not. <laughs> they said, no, in no way are you to do that. Because then they'll know 
that we don't know and they'll think we don't know what we're doing. So, okay, all right, not the answer I was hoping for, but, but you know, it, it is what it is and, and uh, I rolled with it. And so fast forward a couple of years later, now I'm working at the Department of Health and I'm responsible for overseeing these same vague regulatory requirements, except now I think, you know, okay, hey, I'm in a position, I'm in a position to, to, to change this, to get some clarity on this. And so I start asking questions. I ask questions to, to my, to my uh, director's compliance office, our, our, our deputy attorney general, uh, and, I, and I get the same answer. We don't know. So I, so I say, so why don't we ask CMS, right? These are, you know, we're, we're taking these from CMS and the response I get, can you guess, Jarvis, the response that I got? Um, I'm going to go with, I don't know. <laughs> Gonna, they said, I don't know. And, they, and I, when I said, mm -hmm. let's go ask them, they said, they said no, <laughs> because cause then they'll think we don't know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. and, and it was that sort of second reinforcement time uh, uh, that, that was my aha moment. Um, it, it, was, it was really kind of a defining moment for me. It, it, it cemented this notion uh, that, that communication problems, the communication problems we see across healthcare, it's not just about people not knowing how to talk to each other. It's, it's, it's also about perception and posture. And, and, and you know, I, I find that same issue over and over again in the world of quality improvement and project management, that there's this fear. There's this fear of giving visibility to risks, to issues that come up in, in, our, in our work. And, and you know, as if you're going to get in trouble or, or you're going to be judged because and I'm using air quotes here, um, uh, uh, th th that be th because you brought up a problem, as if you're responsible for it, and even if you were responsible for it, so what? You, you've given light to it. And so since that time, since, since that aha moment and having observed all of this fear of, of, of visibility, um, I've taken a, a lot of effort to sort of diffuse that, that that false construct, that, that, that idea that you're going to get in trouble. Because look, as, as leaders, it's our job to, to clear the barriers for, for, for improvement. And, and, and um, how do we do that? How is that even possible if people are afraid to tell us there are problems? So people, uh, for, for people to identify um, patient safety risks or risk to our, the, the projects that, that we're working on. It's, it's that idea... It's the same idea that we adopt in high reliability organizations. Um, it, it, that idea that you are rewarded, you are praised, you're given a day off if you, if you find a problem and prevent a problem. You know, that, positive, that, you know, that positive affirmation that that's the right thing to do, give, give light to it, as opposed to that, that punitive culture that, that insists on, on punishing people uh, that, that, might, that might be a, a part of, of an identified issue. Um, so changing that mindset, it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's not easy, mm -hmm. but it's critical. It's critical to developing that culture. Um, and if you don't do that and you ignore that, uh, from, from my experience, um, your, uh, your ability to affect meaningful change is dramatically mitigated. Well, uh, I'm sitting here, um, you know, kind of smiling as you were telling your story and then those, you know, your additional thoughts there. Because um, in my head, I'm like, amen, brother. <laughs> you know, that that is such, I think, an interesting dynamic um, within healthcare. And again, like I said, my background, I came from um, the electric utility world into healthcare. 
where, you know, the, the crews and the, the folks that I'm working with, they're literally playing with live power cables, you know, that could kill them. You know, they'd be dead before they even realize it. Right. And so the culture that I came from was a call out culture. We used to wear badges that literally just said, tell me. And it was kind of the, you know, the mindset, like, tell me when there's something wrong or something unsafe. But, you know, everything you shared there, I think, yeah, it's still something that I'm trying to wrap my head around in healthcare. Um, I think, you know, as we, as the culture gets stronger, um, I, I hope that's one of the first thing that changes. But, you know, I'm from the South, man. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with many of the teams that I've supported and had that conversation like, hey, you know, something here, you didn't call it out. And they were like, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble. I was like, you are grown and I am not your mama, you know? So like, <laughs> you know, what's the worst thing that I can do, right? So, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, a call for all of our, you know, audience members, just keep pushing your teams because there, there's some very unique culture changes that will put all of our work at risk you know, we can improve processes left, right, upside, down ways and everything, but the, the culture has to balance it. So, so yeah, great absolutely. call out there. Um, Andrew, next question I have for you, and I'm really intrigued again, just with your mindset, man, I'm really excited with everything you're sharing, but um, you know, what are some of the changes going on right now across the healthcare industry that you're excited about and what role do you see quality professionals playing to promote or support it? Right. So Jarvis, we've got massive massive upheaval in our industry right now. Um, we've got things happening in healthcare right now as a direct result of, of our global pandemic that should have happened 10 years ago, but probably wouldn't have happened for another 10 years if COVID-19 hadn't come along. And, you know, first and foremost, I, I consider myself a change agent. And, and that means that part of my job is to address address the human element of change, the human element of, of, of process improvement. And, and one of the, one of the go-to concepts that I, um, that I use is this, this, uh, is from General Electric, um, it's part of their, their cap framework, the change acceleration program that they have. And, and it's an equation E equals Q times a effectiveness of a change equals the quality of that change uh, times the acceptance of that change. So, so we could have the best, the best solution in the world, but if we don't have the time, or sorry, if we don't have the buy-in, uh, what does it matter? If the people aren't willing to, to, to uh, pivot, to make that change, well, uh, it's, me it's, absolutely, it's absolutely meaningless. We need to give people a reason, a reason to be nimble, uh, and, and a reason, it's gonna sound weird, a reason to fear inertia and be excited about change. Um, which is a little bit against sort of the you know, human nature. Uh, I, I like change. Well, most people that I've come across, not, not so much. <laughs> so, so a part of that has to do with, with again, going with that idea that we just discussed, culture and the culture that we create and incentivizing people to think about, well, how, how to do something better, right? Better has no limits. How to do something better or different or how do we how to change the, 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 the paradigm so that when a change comes, uh, it, it's not one of those, whoa, that blindsided me. And it's like, okay, all right, let's do this uh, because we've been expecting that. Now, I, I bring all of this up because uh, you know, as a change agent, we need to find that, that, that burning platform, that, that reason that people can rally around to, to understand and not only uh, accept, but, but to, to, to promote that change, to get excited about that change and, and, ex and 
broaching that, uh, that other idea with them, uh, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me, <laughs> you know, as, as a critical force in getting, in getting that buy-in. So going back to all of the upheaval that I just, that I just mentioned earlier, uh, the best example I can think of is telehealth. Um, and and uh, so I was talking with a friend of mine um, uh, back from my behavioral health days, a couple of days ago, I was talking with her. And, and she, said that, um, she said that before COVID hits, uh, she, she, just, she, she did not like, re totally rejected the idea of, of telehealth because in, in behavioral health, you need to be in the room. You need to make that, that, that intimate connection. And, and she said that, um, she said, well, now, uh, now she's doing DBT, DBT, dialectic behavioral therapy. That, that, is, that, that is a very intense form of treatment. She said, it is great. It is amazing. It, 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 she had no idea that you could provide effective treatment with, to somebody who wasn't, who wasn't even in the same room. Um, in this case, you know, we were, we were kind of helped along, silver lining maybe, um, uh, as a result of, of necessity. So identifying that necessity, in this case, there, there wasn't a, a ton of choice involved, but identifying or at least bringing to light that necessity, that's what that, what it's, what, uh, that with them um, uh, idea or that burning platform, if you will, and giving people that incentive to pivot, uh, that is something that we all should, as quality professionals, should, should really be embracing and, and leading the charge on. And I love it. And, you know, I'll double down on your, your share there because I was talking with a friend of mine who lives in the telemedicine, you know, virtual care space. Um, sorry, my, my co-host is yelling at me back here. Um, but he was telling me that there are still so many unknown quality improvement opportunities within that space too. Um, Cause he was talking to me about like, Hey, come on, you know, come over to the virtual world. Um, I'm not personally ready just yet, but, you know, again, another call out for quality people. Like there is a whole nother career aspect in these new, you know, now more normally accepted technologies and care pr processes that we can get in. Um, and, you know, it's still, it's very much a blue ocean out there. And, and it's, and it's not a, it's not a, a, a cut and paste. It's, 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 you can't just translate one for one, an in-person setting and a virtual setting. Um, we're learning this in the training space, right? Because because uh, we we uh, do a lot of training in, in 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 the healthcare space in person. You get twenty people in a room and you, you talk it out. You've got a dedicated time, a couple of days, five days, however long it takes. You're you're all in that same space. But now, now we can't do that. Now we've got to find a way to, to provide that same knowledge, that same information, those same tools and skills, but we've got to do it virtually. But we can't just take the exact same format and the exact same material and, and just start talking into a, in, in, into a camera and expect people to, to digest it the same way. We need to find different ways to, we need to find different ways to break up the work because yeah, this is even more of a of an opportunity for people to maybe doing do something from the side and 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 checking their emails instead of focusing on the training or or, or what have you. So recognizing that that not only do we have to pivot, but we have to understand the context itself, what the implications are, and 
and uh, address those head on um, in order to be effective. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I mean, even the concept around like one hour long meetings in a virtual environment. Um, I was working with a team earlier this week and I was like, hey, guys, why do we have a 60 minute long meeting They, You know, because that's what we do. Right. We, we always just throw 60 minutes on. And I was like, guys, we're in a virtual environment like we can just get in, collaborate on what we need. Fifteen. You know, if you need the other 45 minutes, take it for what you want. So I think still a lot of adjusting, a lot of pivoting to your point. So you're spot on, my friend. Mm -hmm. uh, next question that I have for you, Andrew, um, I would love to get your thoughts on how the healthcare industry itself can become a more attractive place for ambitious and talented quality people to start or grow their careers. So, so Jarvis, I, I, um, I'm not sure we need to be a more attractive place, but I do think we need to be more accessible. So as a former social worker, I was, I was surrounded in quality by, by nurses. And, and you know, there are certainly roles in, in healthcare quality in, uh, for, for clinical involvement. There's certainly important, no question about that. But there's still a stigma, and often supported by these legacy, a legacy culture that, that, that finds its way into job descriptions um, that, that requires licensure. Uh, that, that you need to be a nurse to do, uh, that's, that a given job function must be performed by, by a licensed healthcare professional. And I would, I would invite the industry to revisit those assumptions because in today's world, in, in, in the 21st century, um, uh, in, in our current healthcare quality workforce, they, they, they simply, those, those constructs simply aren't as, as valid as they once were. Oh, can you hear me now? All right. No, my co-host apparently snagged <laughs> my microphone out. But uh, no, you know, Andrew, uh, you know, it's a perfect observation, a perfect call out for the industry because, um, I mean, you look at this conversation right here, you know, an engineer and a social worker are sitting here talking about talking about healthcare quality, right? Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, this wouldn't be going on. So mm -hmm. we still have a long way to go, but, you know, I think these call outs and these kind of conversations, definitely a great start. Andrew, man, you are doing an amazing job. Um, we are right there, kind of at the halfway point of the show. I'm going to move us into a part of the show that I call the two minute drill, kind of my take on a rapid fire Q&A. Just uh, doing a quick check to see if you're ready to rock and roll before we jump into it. Let's rock and roll. All right, let's do it, man. Um, Andrew, the first question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I would love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? So Jarvis, I'm in a, I, I've been in, in this current role for, well, le less than a year, um, but I am so excited about it. I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in an area that, that not only values continuous improvement, but also places a premium on continuous professional development. And, and uh, I, I get to it as a part of my role, I get to coach and mentor people through, through projects, through training, through certifications. And, you know, I, I, I've never been a part of an organization like that in my career. And it, it's one of the most exciting um, opportunities I have, I've ever had in terms of, in terms of inspiring others, I'll say that, you know, one of the things that I do, <laughs> one of the things that, that uh, I've done 
today. I, I, I tell a lot of stories. I tell a lot of anecdotes, mostly about about project that I had worked or an experience that I had, but primarily revolving around my own fallibility as a human. Right? I'm not a robotic or robot automaton. Um, I'm I'm human. People make mistakes. That's okay. Um, we, 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 that's how we learn. You don't learn if you don't acknowledge them for what they are and embrace them and own them and, and uh, uh, adapt as a result. of. So I think of my life, personally, professionally, everything as just this, this ongoing PDCA cycle. Uh, and, and, you know, people, people have told me that being so open about the mistakes that you made, being so ready to admit those mistakes, it's kind of disarming, not really, really the standard fare that they're used to. And, um, uh, and, and it's something that they really, that resonates with them, that they really, uh, that they really like. So I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. And Andrew, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Okay. So I've got, I've actually, I apologize for taking more time. I've got, I've got two pieces of advice. No, let's, uh, let's have it. Let's have it. All right. It. <laughs> all right. So, First one happened when I was, when I was brand new to my uh, quality career. I was, I was a clinical record reviewer and I was debating on whether or not, and the term we used at the time was ding, to, to ding a, a, um, a, a clinician for, based on the clinical documentation. And I was talking with my peers about it. We were doing this kind of consultation and I, I couldn't have been more than a couple of weeks on the job at the time. And, and one of my one of my colleagues looks up at me and kind of looks at me over his glasses a little bit and, and all he says is hey choose the hill you want to die on <laughs> i thought yeah. i thought wow okay what, what he's telling me is that um uh that that i've got to be very deliberate in the things that i call out uh because if i if i give if I, if I do too much, if I, if I overshare, for example, well, you know, it dilutes the, the, the potency of, of the message that you're trying to convey. So I have recycled that advice over and over, over the years when somebody is saying, well, I'm not sure I should, I should do this. Well, I'm not sure I should, I should call this, this out. Um, it, it's almost in juxtaposition with what, what I said about full transparency. Um, uh, and, and it all depends. It's all context dependent, but that idea, choose the hill you want to die on. Um, it, it has, uh, it, it has profoundly influenced, um, maybe not writing that email <laughs> that I want to write and hit send when, when temperatures are, are, uh, are, are, you know, are heated, um, uh, or tempers, I should say when tempers are heated. So, you know, that's, that's the first piece. Um, th- well, and I, I probably could have used some advice like that younger at younger points of my healthcare career. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember really quickly, but a, a, a email that came from a VP about a project that I was leading. And I mean, this was still probably my first year in healthcare and I replied and I replied all. Ooh. And I wish somebody had told me at that time to choose my, <laughs> the hill that I wanted to die. <laughs> the, um, the dreaded reply all is, is, is dangerous. Yeah. Now, in all fairness, I think I was right. I actually think I won the argument, but but did I really win the argument? You know, mm, so that goes back so. to the relationships conversation, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So awesome. No, thank you for that. What's your uh, What's your second piece? So, uh, and I'll I'll be briefer here, but um, there there was a time a number of years ago when I was working on a, a project and it felt like a slog. It was it was frustrating. This this 
one of those, again, hairy, scary projects that, that had no end. And, and I was frustrated because you know, this was a Demaic project and, and it had been months and months and we barely, barely scratched, um, uh, analyzed the analyzed phase. And, and my, my, my supervisor at the time, my director at the time had said, um, it was kind of in passing, kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, uh, um, uh, we're getting paid to learn. <laughs> and, and it was like, Jarvis, it was like a, a switch was flipped in my head was no longer a slog for me. Now I was getting, I was getting paid to learn and I love learning. Learning is my whole career. Learning is my whole life. I, 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 you know, and so that reframing that, that, that paradigm shift, it's, 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 it does wonders for your energy levels in a situation. That's awesome. I've never thought about our job like that, but that's, that's a really interesting, insightful. I like that. All right. Um, no, good stuff, man. Good stuff. I'm trying to pick back up on the questions here. I was like, Oh, that I, we get paid to learn. I never thought about it like that. Um, all right. Perfect. Um, Andrew, uh, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Uh, Jarvis, uh, if I could change jobs with, with anyone, I would change jobs with, with everyone. <laughs> I, 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 and there, there's a reason behind that. Um, I'm not just dodging the question, but, but it, I, I want to say I'm not dodging the question. Um, I believe in the value of, of walking in a mile uh, in another. I believe in the value of truly understanding um, uh, a process, of living a process more than just talking about it in an abstract way through a, through a, 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 you know, a swim chart, uh, through a flow chart or, or, or some other process uh, policy, SOP documentation that, that describes a process. But if you can't feel the process, if you can't experience the process, if you can't understand and empathize with those who work the process, um, well, it, you know, how, uh, uh, let me frame it this way. If you are able to do that, you are ultimately better equipped to improve that process. Nope. I, I love that. Um, I'll tell you, Andrew, about 50-50 split in terms of the people that um, cop out and say they would never change, <laughs> you know, and they'll stick to their jobs or, you know, the other folks that say, you know, they'll, they'll actually identify as someone that they would trade jobs with. Um, you are the first person who said they would trade jobs with everyone. So I just want to go ahead and give you that crown. No one has ever. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, I, I do have to caveat that. I'm not, <laughs> this would not be a permanent change in positions. All right. Fair <laughs> I wanna, enough. I want to, I want to experience everybody's job. Um, fair enough. But I, I think that's the, that's a real takeaway that I got from, from what you said. I, I like the way you put that, you know, you have to live the process, you have to experience the process. So, so all that said, I will absolutely allow that um, for the response. It's such a, such a trick question sometimes, but I love that response. Um, Andrew, I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading the quality improvement, improvement initiatives that you work on. Yeah, um, it, it, it's it's not a trick per se, or well, maybe it is a personal habit. Um, uh, I laugh. I, I I laugh loud. I, I laugh easily. I laugh a lot. I, I try to make our work fun uh, because pain isn't in the job description. And uh, I, I've had people come to me and say, you know, Andrew, I'm triple booked three days, you know, uh, uh, every every hour of of the day. 
Um, I come to your calls because they're enjoyable. Uh, I come to your meetings because it's, 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 you know, we do the work, but it's, but it's fun. You don't make it painful. Um, that, uh, that is, is, um, well, uh, you know, based on that response, I, I, I keep it up and I keep being who I am. I love it. I, I just wrote an article, I don't know, maybe two or three months ago, um, giving the five reasons why we need to make meetings fun. And so I, I love it. You know, we're, we're people, you know, we're yeah. professionals. We, you know, healthcare is a conservative field, but we're, we're still people. We like to laugh. We like to show emotions. We want to be ourselves. So um, wonderful advice. I think that's a huge takeaway for all of our audience members. Make the job fun, make the work fun, make your meetings fun, um, and more people will show up, hopefully, to Andrew's point. <laughs> um, Andrew, next question I have for you. Um, I would love if you can share a go-to website or mobile application that uh, helps you execute on the work that you lead. So I'm going to use the classic OpX response on this one, Jarvis. Mm -hmm. uh, and that response is... It depends. Um, uh, <laughs> I use that probably 20 times a week. But, but here, um, I'll just shout out a, 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 couple of, uh, a, you know, a, a couple of sites and a couple of applications just, just, just based on the, on, the, on the situation. So in terms of inspiration, in terms of, of looking for uh, opportunities to learn, uh, I, I leverage IHI, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, ASQ, um, a, uh, the American Society for Quality, and uh, and NACU, the National Association for Healthcare Quality. Those websites are great to, to understand not just what's going on in the industry, but how people are able to apply these tools that we talk about in a, in a meaningful way. In addition to that, in terms of, of, of applications, one thing that I, um, well, up until about a month or two ago, I had never really heard of or used before, but because uh, my organization has embraced it well by necessity. I have as well, and I'm so glad that uh, that that I did. And that is Teams. Um, I use Teams for for virtual meetings, for documentation. They've got a Kanban board feature that gives visibility to um, uh, the work that needs to be done. I ask people to post questions on the Kanban board, and they'll just log in and they'll put a question right on there. One less email, and now everybody gets to see it without a reply all or anything like that. It's it's there and available. So. It makes collaboration a bit more accessible. Um, and once you get acclimated to it, right, there's a learning curve, but, but uh, once, once you're there, um, it's, it'll be as if you've always used it. All right, perfect. And I, I share with you, I love Teams. Um, I describe it as if point had a baby, it would be Microsoft Teams. So <laughs> um, Teams is, is my life. <laughs> um, next question I have for you, Andrew, is uh, could you please share with our quality people a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? Right. So as far as professional societies, full disclosure, I am president of the Association for Healthcare Quality of Arizona. So I am partial towards um, azahq.org. Uh, and, and I bring that up in particular because um, we are in the process of developing webinar partnerships with other um, state and regional healthcare quality associations to provide free webinars to our membership. Um, and, and we are offering reciprocity for all other affiliate um, or, or I should say partner associations. So a quick plug on that, Jarvis. Um, I, I'm very excited about that. We are, um, uh, we have uh, 
four uh, associations right now, uh, and 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 we're growing and we're getting that message out there. Now, in terms of of conferences, I am an ardent advocate of NACU of the National Association for Healthcare Quality and their con their national conference NACU Next. Uh, I, I the reason why I like it is it's it's very much it's heavily um, case study based people from uh, across the industry at every level of the industry and their organizations come and share what they've learned, what is um, on the horizon, the, the very cutting edge things that they're doing, the experience that they've learned from. So it's, it's a great opportunity to, um, uh, to, to learn and uh, to learn from and get to know your, your peers. All right. And I am back. <laughs> um, no, thank you for that. And, you know, again, just to to your plug there, um, we here in Georgia are looking forward to joining in and collaborating, man. So that was a perfect plug. Um, I know I have a lot of Georgia folks that follow this podcast. So, you know, that'll be an early, uh, early little inkling to them as we get everything figured out. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so next question I have for you, Andrew, is if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? Okay, so I know I'm not the first person to say this. I'm going to give you two books, not one. Nice. Let's do uh, it. So the, the, the first one is called uh, Storytelling with Data. Um, it is uh, a way to translate these data sets that we get in, in the quality worlds and make it accessible to our target audiences to explain, to translate that data into actual information. Um, I, I'm a big, big advocate of, of storytelling with data. It's influenced me heavily. There, in particular, there's, there's a section there. I'm sure I'm going to get a little guff for this. Um, uh, but there's a section uh, in that book called Pie Charts Are Evil. <laughs> Especially 3D pie charts, but we won't go there right now. Um, it's a great book. I strongly recommend you check it out. Second book, much less technical, no less important. And that is um, a book called Our Iceberg is Melting by uh, John Cotter. It's a very accessible small book. You can read it in one or two sittings. And it talks about the, that human side of change, uh, of, of understanding the people that are impacted by change and gives you um, kind of a fun way to look at very serious and applicable situations uh, and allows us some insight into maybe how to how to go about addressing those in our own work. Perfect. No, I love both of those recommendations. Not familiar with the first one, so I will. And, you know, this is one of those advantages of kind of being the first person to have these podcast conversations. But um, I will be looking that up myself and then wonderful. And then uh, the second one, pure classic. Honestly, anything by Cotter is a classic in my world. But um, but yeah, that um, the iceberg is melting definitely one um, worth checking out for our audience. And uh, let me just ask, so you mentioned, I think probably during our pre-show conversation, but um, the Simon Sinek, um, Infinite Game, have you, mm -hmm. you recently finished that as well? Um, I, I actually haven't finished that yet, okay. but, uh, okay. but, I, but I, have, I've, I have read parts of it. Um, it was actually the, the first chapter was uh, um, uh, kind of a, a, I don't know if it was a gift, but it was a perk of, of attending Make You Next last year. Uh, okay. Simon Sinek had, had, had given out uh, the first chapter of, uh, of the book, and I've seen a number of his uh, video blogs on, on the internet. Okay, and I know I'm totally way off script, but you know that um, I just finished it a few months back, and I, I've read all of his books, but that one for me just, it did it. Like, to me, it was just the perfect, like, if he writes no other books, I was so... <laughs> 
like, it, I don't know if it was just the stage in which, you know, finally at life or, but you mentioned it earlier and I was like, Hey, somebody else has read it. Cause it is such a really good book, but it's a great construct. It's, it, I mean, that, that, that mindset, uh, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, for, for those listening, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't have to read the book to understand sort of that, that idea of, 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 um, well, playing a game against yourself, uh, you have, you, you, you have, you have um, uh, this continuous improvement idea. You're, you it's go. not about winning. It's about this ongoing doing better than what you just did. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it resonates. It resonates strongly. Well, and back to the way you started the show, better has no limits. So perfect. Um, Andrew, man, we are right there. Our, our very last question, but giving you a heads up, this is something of a personal favor because I'm going to try to get you to reflect on your past while you also look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years into the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in both of those messages? You, you know, Jarvis, they, they, uh, they say quality is about repetition about reinforcements. And uh, I, would, I, I would send the exact same text message to myself 10 years in the past and 10 years in the future. And just to your point a moment ago, sort of closing the loop on our going full circle on this conversation that, that it, they would say the same thing. It would say better has no limits. Fair enough. Well, and you know, I, I learned from one of our past guests, um, she had this amazing um, I don't know. I hate to call it a rhyme, but um, it was good, better, best. Never let it rest to your betters, betters. And you're, oh, I'm messing it up now. But anyway, <laughs> check out the past episode with Pat. But um, no, I, I appreciate that message. Like I said, that has truly resonated with me. And even, um, you know, a lot of what you shared today, I mean, that definitely seems like uh, your personal mindset, Andrew, just as I've taken this hour to get to know you a lot better. Um, you know, your stories, your lessons learned. I think um, they resonate with me personally. I think they're really going to touch, you know, the the hearts, the minds of a lot of the folks that follow this show. Um, I really hope that, um, you know, a lot of our listeners can reach out to you and connect with you personally following this. But um, before we end and I let you go, uh, Andrew, I would love if you could give us just that parting piece of advice for the day and share with us um, how can folks follow or connect with you through social media and then we'll, we'll officially sign off. Okay. Oh, that's tough. Parting piece of advice. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, I think that, well, the, the parting piece of advice I would offer is stay curious um, uh, in, in, in everything. The more curious we are, the more open and receptive we are to, to, to the world around us and the better our opportunity to improve. All right. Beautiful. And uh, how about where, where can we connect with you? Yes, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, the, I believe the Jarvis is going to be, uh, provide that, that information um, in, the, in the notes. So please feel free. I love having these conversations, Jarvis. I, I, I would have this conversation with you even if we weren't doing this podcast right now. So um, <laughs> please feel free, folks, reach out. Um, you know, this is my passion. Uh, this is what I love to talk about, and I am more than happy to do so. Perfect. I appreciate all of that and everything that you shared this morning, Andrew, um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Andrew, and we're signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. 
That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.